So uh, today we're wrapping up our four-week back-to-school sermon series called The Struggle Bus. Uh, Throughout the month of August, we've been talking about um, biblical characters from the two-century period of Israel's history that's that's covered in the book of Judges. This was uh, the period of time of the first 200 years in the Promised Land. And as we've been talking about all month, it was a time when God's people struggled to remain faithful to God. So in week one of the series, we talked about Joshua, uh, who shortly before his death warned the people about straying from God. He encouraged them to choose God every day in a very famous passage. And he predicted that if they, if they did choose God, things would go well. If they did not, uh, things would go poorly. And then the book of Judges is uh, basically a record of how Joshua would be proved correct. In weeks two and three of the series, we talked about um, the lessons we can learn from the most effective leader in the book of Judges, a woman named Deborah. And all of those sermons are uh, on the website if you missed one and you want to get caught up. Now, uh, I have... I have taught the book of Judges several times over the years, but as I mentioned a few weeks ago, until this series, I had never preached on the book of Judges, and um, that's partly because uh, nobody really does. Um, The Revised Common Lectionary is something you hear me refer to from time to time. It's this uh, three-year cycle of recommended readings for each Sunday. It's used by lots of Christian denominations all around the world, including, obviously, United Methodists. And the idea is, if you largely follow um, the lectionary, then over the course of three years, you get kind of a survey of the most important parts of the Bible over a three-year period. And I preach from from one of those recommended texts somewhere between 60 and 70% of the time. Well, in the lectionary, over the course of that three-year cycle, uh, when you consider that there are four recommended readings for every Sunday to choose from, um, as well as for every like, special worship day, like the, week, the days of Holy Week and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the other things that we celebrate, when you add up all those readings, there are about 700 recommend, re- recommended readings in all. And in that list of 700 recommended scripture readings, um, only one comes from the book of Judges. That one text, if you're interested, is in Judges 4, the first seven verses of Judges 4, and we read that a couple of weeks ago. So one reason that I have never preached on Judges is that in general, we don't focus on it all that much. But the other reason uh, that I've never preached on it is the the subject matter. So um, Judges records this this two-century cycle that God's people get caught in. We've referred to it several times. Um, they stray from God, and that's, that's usually under poor leadership. And the way that um, our scripture, the, the translation that we read here in worship puts it, it says, the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Judges tells us that when that happens, um, things get bad, and sometimes things get uh, really, really bad. And so when that happens, God raises up a good leader, an effective leader, and uh, things get good for a while, and then the people stray, and it just happens over and over again. I mean, just real honestly, it's a a depressing book, kind of. But as we wrap up our series today, I do think that we're going to find a helpful lesson in the midst of this familiar pattern of human behavior. It's not just a pattern that's in Judges. It's a kind of pattern in general. And our subject for today is one of the more well-known characters in the Old Testament, uh, a guy named Samson. So 
There are four chapters in the book of Judges about Samson. 13, 14, 15, 16. I think there are 20 or 21 chapters in all in Judges. So that's a lot of material on this one guy. Uh, I'm going to read the very beginning of his story. And then I'm going to skip over everything in the middle. I'll kind of summarize it as we're talking. And then we're going to read the very end. So uh, this is going to be Judges chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. And then verse 24 of that first uh, 13th chapter. So I'm sure you all notice this every week. We have the Pew Bible listed on there. If anybody wants to follow along in the Pew Bible and we specify Old Testament or New because the um, pages start over again. When we list Spark up there every week, it's the Bibles that we give to our kids. And so I'm actually going to read from the kids' uh, Bible today. It starts on page 277. So if the third graders who just got their Bibles want to um, read along, I'm on page 277, the giant number 13, and I'll start there. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Judges. And oh, look, what a surprise. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of the hand of the Philistines 40 years. There was a, a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren, having borne no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, although you are barren, having borne no children, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or to eat anything unclean, for you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come on his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth. And if any of the kids are reading along, there's a little C after the word Nazarite. You look down at the bottom, it says, or one um, separated or consecrated. So we're not exactly sure what Nazarites did in the era of Samson, but we do know that he was set aside for a special uh, task. And here it is uh, in the very next sentence. It is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like that of an angel of God, most awe-inspiring. I did not ask him where he came from and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth to the day of his death. And then if we jump down to the end of that chapter, verse 24 says, the woman bore a son and named him Samson. The boy grew, and the Lord blessed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, uh, I think it's fitting that today, the day we're giving our third graders their Bibles, we're talking about Samson, because some version of the story of Samson frequently shows up in uh, children's Sunday school and in vacation Bible school. Samson is uh, almost a mythological hero in this period of Israel's history. Or at the very least, uh, he is a, a very memorable folk hero. And in his story, there are some details that uh, seem to stand out in our memories. If you, if you heard this story as a kid at any time, in VBS or Sunday school, um, chances are there are some details that, that stayed with you. So, uh, in fact, if I were to name, ask you to name three things about Samson, um, I'm guessing many of you could do it. Not all, but many. And the first is that Samson is strong. And I'm talking about like super strong, like, uh, like crazy strong. Uh, 
And whenever he's depicted in uh, children's mater- uh, materials, he's always looking super buff, and he's always showing off those, those biceps, okay? The next thing to remember about Samson, uh, or to know about Samson, is that his, his hair is kind of a big deal. Uh, now, we're not going to read this part of it, of the story, but his hair is actually connected to his strength. It's a fact that ends up being his, his downfall, as VeggieTales accurately points out here, Samson's bad hair day. And that story involves the little blue character on the bottom left of this picture, which brings me to the third thing that people remember oftentimes about Samson, and that is the woman who brings about his downfall, Delilah. Samson and Delilah, or Delilah, if anybody listens to the radio. (laughs) And here, just let me say, uh, I have some questions for editors who consistently choose Samson when deciding on what to focus on with children. Because um, the story of Samson is fascinating for sure, and uh, as a folk hero, he's super memorable. And the book of Judges, in those four chapters, gives, gives us lots of interesting details Um, about his life, but the overall narrative about Samson, and certainly the story of Samson and Delilah, is hardly a Bible story for kids. Uh, In fact, Samson's kind of a mess. My my first working title for the sermon was Bless His Heart. (laughs) And uh, some of his story, as recorded in chapters 13 through 16, parents, I'm just going to tell you, we just give the kids their Bibles. I think it should contain a content warning in children's Bibles because plenty of that story is at least PG-13 and maybe uh, higher rated or worse or however you want to describe it. But the thing about the book of Judges is that Judges makes clear that God is at work in Samson's life even before he was born. And as we were reading that story from the opening cha- uh, verses of the 13th chapter, um, that you may have heard some echoes of other stories in scripture. It comes up several times. So like um, in the story of Abraham and Sarah and their son Isaac, for example. Um, the story of the prophet Samuel and his mother Hannah, which is actually gonna be our back to school series next year. Uh, even the story of Jesus' birth has elements that resemble the story of Samson and his mother. Now, I'm a visual person. I know the details on this map are hard to see, but just in general, uh, Samson was from the southwest part of the Promised Land on the coast, from the tribe of Dan. It's kind of like 60% of the way down under the Great Sea there. And the Philistines had landed on the coast to the south of the Danites, and they would become this persistent enemy for God's people. They would actually become kind of a boogeyman for God's people. People. The word Philistine, translated into English, is a colloquialism for somebody that's not great. And Goliath, for example, that, um, that giant foe that the diminutive David would face later, later on down the line, he was a Philistine. And that was hundreds of years after this story of Samson. So the Philistines end up being the people of God's enemy uh, for a long time. And we're told that before Samson's birth, um, because of what they had uh, done, they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. We read that. The Lord gave the Israelites into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so Samson, his job, he would grow up to be a great folk hero uh, whose specialty was eliminating as many Philistines as possible. And along the way, we're told these 
fantastic stories of his legendary exploits. So uh, in, the, in the next chapter after we left off, in chapter 14, we're told that he, um, a lion roars at him. Lion doesn't even attack him, by the way. Lion just roars at him, makes him mad. He grabs it and he kills it with his bare hands. That's in chapter 14. And then in chapter 15, we're told that he, he catches 300 foxes and he pairs them off and he ties them tail to tail. And then in between, on each one of these tails, sets of tails, he, he uh, ties a lighted torch. And then he releases these um, foxes that are on fire into the food stores of the Philistines to chase them away from God's people. And then a little, little while after that, we're told that he kills a thousand Philistine troops uh, with the jawbone of a donkey. He, his story reads almost like a superhero tale, almost. Uh, certainly a folk hero tale. And in Samson, what we read is that God raises up someone who could defeat the mighty and feared and hated Philistines, which is exactly what the people of God wanted, having been ruled by the Philistines for two generations. So that's all the kind of fun details about Samson. But uh, the thing is, Samson is, is no Deborah. <laughs> Biblical scholars have wrestled for centuries about this whole thing with him being a Nazarite. We're not sure exactly what that means other than that he was set apart for work for God. But we do know that he was not a religious leader like, like Deborah was before the uh, Israelites called her to help them fight the Canaanites. He wasn't a religious leader. Um, we know that he was not charismatic like Deborah was. Now he's a warrior to be sure, and he's a, a fearsome one, but he's not a, he's not a military leader. He's kind of like our Goliath, right? Goliath is a giant. He's very intimidating. He's scary. You want him on your side if you're in a fight. Samson's like our Goliath, um, but he doesn't lead others into battle. He doesn't rally the other tribes to rise up against the Philistines. There is no really enduring peace during the season of his uh, judging. Instead, he's personally vengeful. We're going to hear that in just a minute. And not only is he personally vengeful, but he's quick-tempered. And not only is he quick-tempered, but he, he acts immorally, I think is the most delicate way to put it, specifically in his relationships with women. And that whole episode with uh, Delilah is just, it's just sad. <laughs> it's not a charming children's story, a Bible story for kids. That's not... That's not what it is, it's a story of betrayal. And it results in Samson being captured by the Philistines and being blinded by the Philistines and then being put in a Philistine prison. And so that's where we're gonna pick up the story. This is the end of Samson's life after the Samson and Delilah um, episode. Uh, we'll read the end of his story now. So this is Judges 16 verses 23 to 31. And if the kids are following along, it's on page 281 in the Spark Bible. Now the lords of the Philistines, so that's the leaders of the Philistines, gathered to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon, and to rejoice. For they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson and let him entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them 
They made him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the attendant who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests so that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the Lord's leaders of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, remember me and strengthen me only this once, O God, so that with this one act of revenge, I may pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Then Samson said, let, let me die with the Philistines. He strained with all his might, and the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So those he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took them and brought them up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. So the thing about Samson's story is it's well told um, and it's compelling and there are a lot of details that, as I said, stand out in our memory. Um, but when I read that the first time when I was in seminary, um, we got to the end of that and I just wrote tragedy out to the side. That's what it sounds like, a tragedy. If, if Samson is, uh, is kind of a superhero, then uh, this, this is kind of an Avengers Infinity War ending to his story. If you've seen the saga of Marvel, you know what I'm talking about. And unfortunately for Samson, there's not gonna be an Avengers Endgame uh, sequel coming. This is the end of, this, end of the line for Samson. But, but remember, with the exception of Jesus and the important exception of Jesus, the stories in the Bible are not, not really about the characters in those stories per se, or at least not primarily so. The stories of the biblical figures um, that we read about when we're doing Bible study or in worship are much more about what they have to teach us what they have to teach us about, about God and about ourselves and about uh, our relationships with God and each other. In the time of, the, of Judges, uh, Dagon was the god of, of rain and fertility, worshiped by the Philistines. And the end of Samson's story tells us that uh, as the Philistines praise their god, their what we would call a false god, Samson calls on the one and only God to empower him one more time. For the Philistines, this was the perfect end of the story. Samson was their boogeyman, and they finally had caught him. But Samson said, oh God, just one more time, just one more time, strengthen me. So that what appears to be a victory by the Philistines ends up being a stunning victory for God, which absolutely was good news for the Israelites back in the day. There's no question about that. 1,200 years later, Jesus is going to update our theology so that there's no killing, thankfully. Um, but we have, to, we have to judge Samson based on the standards of, of his time. All of which is to say that the saga of Samson uh, teaches us all that despite his shortcomings, and there are quite a few that come up in chapters 13, 13 through 16, despite all those shortcomings, Samson was a hero to the end. And there's a great lesson in that. God, God loved him 
flaws and all. God chose him, flaws and all, and God worked through him his entire life, flaws and all. Because too many people grow up in the church uh, with bad theology. (laughs) Too many people either because they're overtly hearing it or because it's the message that they um, hear. Maybe that's not what the preacher's saying, but for whatever reason, that's what they hear. Too many people think they are not worthy of the love of God. Too many people stay away from Jesus. They avoid the church. They, they hide from God because of the things that they've done or left undone. Because too many people have this misguided notion that their value in life is uh, closely tied, if not entirely tied, to the degree to which they live their life perfectly, according to whatever moral or ethic they've learned. While our Christian faith assures us that the only one who ever lived a perfect life is the one in whom we should put our trust so that we can let God be God and we can accept our own imperfect humanity. And if, I, I, I don't know what your journey is specifically, but I'll tell you, it took me years, years to embrace the spirituality of imperfection. It took me years to let God be God and to accept my own limitations. It took me years of thinking that I was not good enough before I got to a place where I relearned what God is all about. If you sit down and read chapters 13 through 16 of Judges. Anyone who does that, anyone who reads the story of Samson can see just how seriously and thoroughly our God believes in and loves every one of us, flaws and all. Samson was a mess, bless his heart. But he was still a hero. And he was still a hero because God neither expects nor demands perfection in God's faithful. So speaking of imperfect heroes, there's a a novel that for me is an essential part of Texas culture. So everybody born in Texas, everybody who's moved to Texas and becomes a Texan, everybody really should read this at one point or another, Um, Lonesome Dove. It was written in 1985. Larry McMurtry wrote it, it's from Archer City not far from Henrietta, Texas, which I'm gonna get to in a minute. And my dad uh, read this in 1985 when it came out, fell in love with Larry McMurtry, read everything he ever wrote. And I had it um, on my shelf for a long time, but it is a big book. It's, I don't even know, a thousand pages or something. And so it just sat on my shelf for a long time. And then the bishop sent us out to Henrietta, Texas. Now Henrietta is in rural Clay County, uh, 22 miles this side of Wichita Falls is on the very, uh, the very southern tip of the Great Plains. And it is very much about the ranching and cowboy culture that's played such an important role in Texas history. So we moved out to Henrietta, and I thought, well, <laughs> if ever I'm gonna read Lonesome Dove, now's the time, and I'm glad that I did. And those of us who are a certain age, even if you didn't read the book, may know the miniseries um, that is iconic late 1980s with these two iconic main characters. That's Robert Duvall on the left. He plays Gus McRae, and Gus is kind of the easygoing, fun-loving foil to his straight-laced best friend on the right. That's Tommy Lee Jones playing a guy named William Call. And Call is a quiet, intimidating, um, driven man who's 
primary values are like discipline and honor. <laughs> and in the story, these two are um, retired and they're legendary Texas Rangers. And they've settled in Texas and they're um, in business together. And the premise of the book is that they're um, going on a cattle drive from Texas to Montana. And it's a thousand pages of all the adventures that they get in, but it's so much more than that. Um, it's an epic story. It's about friendship. It's about uh, getting older. It's about death. It's about the meaning of life. And at one point in the novel, these two old friends are having a philosophical discussion and, and Gus is trying to get Call to lighten up just a, just a little bit. And Gus says, you are so sure that you're right. <laughs> I'm glad that I've been wrong enough to keep in practice. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you, I always resonated in the book more with Call, but I always liked Gus's character better, which probably means I need to see the therapist again. There's something in there about that. Uh, but I, they're both so brilliant. And Gus is saying, lighten up. You don't have to be right all the time. It's better not to be. And his old friend replies, why would you keep in practice being wrong? I think that'd be something you tried to avoid. And his old friend then tells him the truth. He says, you can't avoid it. You gotta learn to handle it. What, if you come face to face with your own mistakes only once or twice in your life, that's bound to be super painful when you do. Gus says, I've, I face my mistakes every day. There's no sense trying to run from it. And to me, Gus, for all of his faults, has a much healthier view of the world, <laughs> has a much healthier view of the human condition than his old buddy Call. Friends, as we wrap up this sermon series, we've spent a month now talking about uh, how God's people cope with the struggles of life. And those struggles are different for all of us, different at different times of our lives, but we all go through them. I think wrapping up with the story of, of Samson gives us a, a memorable example of really an essential biblical truth, which is that our imperfection uh, is just a reality of life. As, as disciples of Jesus, we're all trying to be the best human beings we can be. We believe the Holy Spirit's working within us to, to help us be better than we otherwise would be. And we're all trying to, to grow in our love for God and each other, and we do that by the grace of God working in our lives, and we're all trying to be faithful disciples, obedient each day to the teachings of Jesus. But when we fall short, which we do every day, when we miss the mark, when we, like Samson, are kind of a mess, bless our hearts, well, that's when God continues to call us, and God continues to work through us, and God continues to love us and forgive us and encourage us, flaws and all. Thanks be to God. Amen.